Hey, and let, let's give it up for Kevin Twitchell getting me some water here. Thank you, Kevin. Because I think I about lost my breath worshiping. There's something about being home with our team, you know, after being away for a few weeks, and these guys are good. And, uh, man, our, all of our life team, all of our serving team, you know, the, the team wouldn't sound good up here if it wasn't for the crew that comes in at 7 o'clock in the morning and connects all the cables and the speakers and sets up the stage. And, and we got an incredible kids team and people greeting you and people making coffee. It's good water, by the way, Kevin. Thank you. So, man, it is so good to, to be home, to be back with you guys. My wife and I took, and our kids, we took our first break since 2010 when we moved here to plant True Life Church. I don't recommend that. Um, I would vacation more often than that if I were you. We didn't really go anywhere. We just found stuff around here to do. Uh, but we took some vacation time. It was really healthy for us, and I want to thank all of you for making that possible. I especially want to thank our lead team and all of the life team, the serving team, especially some guys like Brian Schaefer. Where's Brian at? He's hanging out. Brian, really, man, he, was, he held it all together on Sunday mornings over the last couple weeks with guest speakers coming in. Did you all enjoy Kent Jacobs and, and Aaron Kelly the last couple of weeks? Weren't those guys awesome? Okay. Well, you like me better then. All right. That's fine. Some like, I, uh, I come once a month. What are you talking about? All right. So, man, it's been good. It's been really fun to be away. And I'm actually, I was telling uh, Kevin, a couple guys earlier, I haven't been on this stage in a few weeks and shared with you. I'm actually a little nervous. Like, um, what, if I'm, what, if I, what if I don't preach good anymore, you know? What if something happened? Well, I'm not quitting. Um, so you're, you're stuck with me. I'm here to stay. They're going to bury me in Newark. I've decided that, or bear or somewhere in the vicinity. Um, but uh, hey, if, it's, if you're a guest, if you're here for the very first time, my name's Michael. I'm the lead pastor here, and we're, we're glad you're here. Would you just help me welcome any first-time guest who's in the house this morning? We're glad you're here. Thanks for coming. Uh, just want to give another shout out to some amazing couples who hung out with us the last couple days at our Becoming One simulcast with Pastor Jimmy and Karen Evans. Uh, we hooked up with New Beginnings Church, uh, Joel Mears, Joel Jumpkick Mears, who was up here playing bass this morning. Uh, his dad pastors another church here in town, and so we kind of combined and uh, they opened up their building, and, and uh, we spent the last few days working on healthy marriages, healthy families. Come on, how many know you can't have a healthy church without healthy families? And healthy marriages, and, uh, and that's a priority to us here. And uh, so I just want to give all of you a shout out. It was an awesome weekend. Had so much fun hanging out with you. And um, I think our marriages are going to be better as a result. I also want to, um, oh, look, I just got a text from one other member of our lead team. Alex Group says, we're being admitted to the hospital. Here come the twins, everybody. <laughs> Growing the church one way or another, that's what I like to say. If you're married, let's grow it, baby. Let's go. And uh, uh, bring on the babies. Keep them coming. I'm the, I'm the only pastor that doesn't complain when we hear babies crying in the service. It doesn't bother me. It means we have families here, and that's who we want. That's who, uh, that's who we're for. And uh, so it, it, doesn't, I, I, it brings joy to my heart when I hear a baby cry in the service. So bring it on. Make it happen. We're going to grow the church. Hey, I do want to just real quick before I jump into the message... Uh, tonight at 6 o'clock is the 201 portion of our life track. And our life track is a four-week, four-step process to help you go from being an attender and someone who just kind of comes on Sundays and enjoys the Sunday experience to being someone who's really a part of the life of the church. And uh, let me tell you why that's important. Statistics tell us that within six months, if you don't become a part of the life of a church, you'll get bored with your church. And you will actually disappear 
you'll find somewhere else to go, something else to do. And so, and, and you'll just repeat that process over and over again. That's why we have a culture where people kind of church hop and church shop because they never actually become the part of a life church and get connected to the mission and the vision of the house. And I'm going to tell you something about True Life Church. After spending some time away and talking to God and praying, talking to some other friends and pastors, I believe more in the mission and the vision of True Life Church today than I did the day we started the thing. I believe God has called us for a specific... This is our time and our season and our place to reach a city, to reach a region that is hurting, where people, listen, fewer than 8% of the population in our vicinity are involved in a local church, a healthy local church on Sunday mornings. Come on, that means there's a lot of opportunity for us to reach some people who need Jesus Christ in their lives. Why are you not shouting me down right now? Maybe you need a vacation. Come on, I believe more than ever in the mission and the vision of our church. But here's the thing, we need you. Especially at the end of summer, man, I walk in and, and they don't say anything to me because people, our, our team is so incredible, their hearts are so good that they would never complain. But I can see it in their eyes like, dude, please help. Because summer, our teams always get stretched a little bit thin. Um, I'm, I'm watching Brian, the man, Schaefer, do kids check-in and then run in here to MC the service and dismiss kids and trans, tra, uh, do the, the transitioning of the service. And fall, things get a lot easier because students come back. Um, a lot of people come off vacations and all those things. But here's the deal. Our church is going to grow in the fall and all the way into the first part of next year. And guess what that means? That means we need you connected to the mission and the vision of the house. We need you to lock arms with us and say, Pastor, I am with you. Life team, I'm with you. Lead team, I'm with you. We're going to reach the lost. We're going to reach the hurting. We're not going to be lazy and we're not going to be consumers, but we're going to be contributors and we're going to do something for the kingdom. You say, that sounds like you're kind of trying to manipulate me. Yes, I'm trying to manipulate you into God's will for your life, which is to serve his kingdom. Find your gift. Find the thing that you're called to do. And we need you. Come on, life team. Don't we need some more members on the life team this morning? Some of you are nice and smiley and friendly. And you'd make a great, you could stand stand at the front door and smile and welcome people as they come to church. And I had a lady come up to me just a few weeks ago, her first time here. And she said, I have never felt so welcome and invited because Lamar, she got his name wrong, <laughs> it's LeVar. And she, she said, because Lamar, as soon as he saw I was new, just took me, he's been introducing me to people, he's made sure I have people to sit with, um, he's made sure I don't feel like a stranger, I feel so at home and this is my first Sunday here. Come on, don't you want to be a part of helping to create some stories like that? That's why we're here. And so I want to tell you, man, this is a great month to jump into Life Track. Because when you come out of life track at the end, you'll be jumping into a team and serving right as the fall surge happens. And I'm telling you, you're going to see it in about three weeks when students come back and people are done traveling and school is back in session. This room gets a lot more full. The energy level, it, it, it goes up because there's all these young people in here. And uh, we need you, man. I just don't know how else to say it other than we need you. And I don't want six months to go by and you to not find what your place and your purpose is in our church, and you feel like you have to go shopping, again, don't do that. Don't let that happen. Come on, are you with me? All right, all right. Good. Okay, now to the message. That was the message before the message. Preachers are allowed to do that, especially after vacation. All right, so so, uh, we are in a series called SPF. We're talking about how to make sure you don't get burned in life. And I know Kent did a great job last week. Today, specifically, I want to talk about the issue of sin. Because sin 
can create some pain, it can create some scarring, it can create some burn in our lives. And I want to talk to you about how to make sure you don't get burned by sin. Next week, I'm going to talk about how to make sure you don't get burned in your family. How to keep your family healthy. What are, what are these scriptures? Is, is the man really the head of the household? What, what is all this? Does that mean I get to boss my wife around and tell her what to do? I'm, I'm going to unpack all of that for you next week. We're going to talk about how to make sure you don't get burned in your family. How to have a, a healthy, happy home. We won't get all of it done in one week, but I'm looking forward to it. And then the week after that, we're going to talk about relationships. How to make sure you don't get burned in other relationships. It's going to be... Good, we'll talk about how to draw healthy boundaries in your life. But today I want to talk about sin. And we kind of have a theme scripture that we've been using throughout the series, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12. And it says, finally, be strong. Everybody say, be strong. Be strong. Come on, church, you got to get with me this morning. Come on, say, be strong. Be strong. I love this extra stage I get right here. Be strong. Put on the full armor of... Oh, wait, did I skip something there? Be strong how? In the Lord and in His mighty power. Can I just submit to you this morning that the strength you need to get through the attacks of the enemy on your life, you will not find on your own. Be strong how? In the Lord and His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The devil has multiple schemes that he wants to use to mess up our lives, to wreck your life. He wants to destroy some of our families. We see in culture and on the news today that, that the enemy is trying to destroy the moral high ground of the local church. He wants to take away the influence. He wants to take away the voice of the local church. He wants to neutralize your... Listen, this is for you. The enemy of your soul wants to neutralize your effectiveness as a believer. He wants you neutralized. See, here's the deal. The, the enemy of your soul, devil, Satan, he's real. He has, he has two primary plans for your life. One is to try to keep you from ever finding a relationship with Jesus Christ at all. If he can't do that, then his, his plan B is to at least try to keep you so frozen in your fear, in your pain, in your past, in your mistakes, that even though you're a believer, even though you've received Christ, you, you literally do nothing. You have no effectiveness as a believer in the kingdom. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be an ineffective Christ follower. I want to be an effective Christ follower. I want to have impact on the world around me. And so what I want to talk to you today about is just one of his schemes. And that's what I call the scheme of sin or the, the sin scheme. There's a universal definition of sin that, that most theologians would agree on. And they would just define it like this, missing the mark. What does that mean? It means... Just like if you were to draw a bullseye up here on the stage, in the center of that bullseye would be the perfect plan and will for your life where you're able to follow God's laws and His precepts and His principles perfectly. We all know that's actually impossible. The Bible's very clear that all of us have sinned. Come on, aren't you glad for God's grace this morning? But all of us deal with sin. All of us miss the bullseye. I don't know about you, but for me, pretty regularly. More than I care to admit, I miss the bullseye, I missed the mark. 
And whether we like to admit it or not, all of us are dealing with sin. All of us are being tempted in some area. Look at 1 John chapter 18. It says this, If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling who? Ourselves. Isn't it interesting that he doesn't even claim that you can fool the people around you? I've found it to be more obvious than I'd like it to be when I'm struggling with something. The people who know me best can figure it out, even when I'm trying to make sure they don't. The only person you're fooling when you try to tell yourself, oh, it's not an issue, it's not a problem, I'm okay, I can handle this, it's not a habit yet, I can break this. The only person you're fooling is yourself. And not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to Him, come on, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we're calling God a liar and showing that His Word has no place in our hearts. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to create as much space in my heart for the Word of God as I possibly can. And what this Scripture tells me is that when I choose to sin repeatedly and then get to the place where I actually begin to lie to myself about whether or not that sin is having any effect on my life, that sin is crowding out the truth of God's Word in my heart. And so even if I'm in relationship with Jesus, I can push truth out of my heart. I can be so deceived that I'll think I can live my life any way that I want and that there won't be any consequences, and it's just not true. See, the enemy wants to trip us up with sin because he, and I would write, this isn't in your notes, but I would write these things down if I were you. He knows that sin creates three emotions, three feelings for us. The first one is we feel separation from God. Separation from God. I would say it this way, when we're sinning in our lives, it pulls us out from under the favor of Jesus Christ. We've confused love and favor in our culture. Listen, I love my kids unconditionally. There is absolutely nothing that my kids could do to make me not love them. They keep me humble, by the way. I, I went to speak at Freedom Life last weekend. I was the guest speaker, and, and, uh, and we got there and, and got to the church. And I said to my daughter, I said, I said hey, she went with me. The first time she'd gone on a trip with just, just she and I, Sarah and I, daddy-daughter ministry trip. It was so awesome. We drove through uh, the Susquehanna Valley, all the, the mountains there. Um, she had never seen mountains before. I know those aren't like mountains, but they were, to her, they were. And, and so, and just literally for an hour and a half, whoa, daddy, so beautiful. <laughs> just the whole, the whole ride up there. But we get there, we get ready to preach. I says, Sarah, listen, you, you got two options today. Um, you can go hang out with the kids in the kids' church, or, you know, daddy's the guest speaker today. That's kind of a, that's a big deal to be the guest. Your daddy's a big deal today. So what do you want? Do you want to stay and hang out with daddy and listen to daddy? Pre- no, I'll go with the kids. <laughs> kids keep you humble, man. They keep a little humility in your life. A little too honest. But sin creates the feeling of separation. And I love my kids very, very much. There's nothing that they could do that would make me not love them. But when they disobey me, they fall out of favor with me. And there's going to be correction that I bring into their life. And when the behavior lines up with the values of our home, they come back under favor with me. Come on, do you get that this morning? 
My love for them did not change, but my favor on them can change. And what sin will do is it will take us out of the favor covering of God and leave us feeling separated from Him, even though His feelings towards us haven't changed at all. That's good preaching. I don't care what you say. Sin creates a sense of separation. Here's the second thing that sin creates. It creates a feeling of isolation from other believers. It makes us feel isolated. What happens is we get into habitual sin and, and habits build up and form in our lives. And we start to think, well, I just can't, I can't ever confess this. I can't talk about this. I'm, I'm too ashamed. There's too much guilt. Pastor, you just don't know how much sin there actually is. Yeah, I probably do. I probably do. Like, here, I, I, talking about getting involved and serving in our church, and, and I hear all the time, well, I just, I'm not there yet. I'm just not, I don't think I'm a mature enough believer. You just don't know how messed up my life still is. Well, can I just tell you, like, you're in the right church to be messy. Like, this is a messy church. Half our lead team is recovering porn addicts. I mean, for real. This is the right church to be messy in. Alright, it's, it's, you are in the right place. So don't, don't allow any of those feelings of shame or guilt to keep you from finding God's place in, in, in serving, getting involved. That sense of isolation away from people who love you and care about you is a lie from the enemy. It's not real. It's not true. You are loved. You are cared for. You are accepted. And we need you, man. We need you. Sin creates separation. It creates isolation. And lastly, it creates domination. We feel dominated and helpless because sin always develops a pattern. And we get some of, some of you are there this morning. You feel like I'm talking right to you, and it's because I am, because that's how the Holy Spirit works. He's cool like that. You get in a cycle, you get in a pattern, and you get to the place where you feel so dominated by this thing that you don't even try anymore. You just feel helpless. Helpless and bound up by sin. So how's that happen? How does sin happen. One of the things I love about Scripture, one of the things I love about the Bible, is that it has all of the enemy's plays written out for us before he can call them. I'm a big football fan. I'm a big Kansas City Chiefs fan. Was, last year was better than normal. It's a nice change. I'm a big Delaware fan, University of Delaware football fan. Trent Hurley, the quarterback, attends our church uh, most weeks. They're doing camp right now. You know, they opened the season against Pittburgh. Pitt, Pittburgh. I just renamed the city. I told somebody I'd get tongue-tied today. They, they opened the season against Pittsburgh. Now, Pittsburgh is a step up. They're a larger school, a larger program. We're supposed to be the cupcakes. We're supposed to get smashed. That's how, it, that's how college football works. That's what everybody will be expecting. All right? But... But what I would love to happen, this would be illegal, this will never happen, but wouldn't it be awesome if somehow Delaware could know all the plays that Pittsburgh is going to run before they run them? We might have a chance, right? Somebody work on that. Shh. Check it out. That's what God did for you. The enemy of your soul has no creative power in him. He can't come up with a new thing or a new idea. He uses the same schemes, the same lies, over and over and over. Since the days of Adam and Eve, it's been the same schemes, the same lies, over and over and over again. And all of his plays are written out for us in Scripture so that we can be prepared when he comes against us. Look at James chapter 1, verse 12. It tells us how sin works. God blesses those who patiently endure, testing 
and temptation. Afterward, they'll receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love Him. And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. So let me just pause for a second. Some of us are in a bad habit to go, God, why are you doing this to me? He's not. God, why, why, did, you, why did you put that, that, that pornography, why did you make it so accessible on my computer? He didn't. You live in a fallen world. God would never place a temptation to sin in front of you. He'll allow you to walk through testing in your life, but the God of the universe loves you too much to mess with you. He doesn't tempt us. God is never tempted to do wrong, and He never tempts anyone else. And then He goes on to explain how sin happens. And here in your notes, follow along with me. This is really important. Write it down if you're using the written notes. Use you version if you're using you version. But make sure you get this. Here's how sin happens. Number one, it begins with desire. James 1.14, temptation comes from our own what? Come on, say it. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. See, the sinful nature always craves more. The sinful nature, your flesh, always craves variety. It always wants to try something new. And what the enemy does is he presents us with false promises that sin will feed the craving of our lives. It started with that. What happened with Adam and Eve? The serpent shows up. He says, don't you want to try some of the fruit? And they said, no, we can't eat the fruit because we'll die. And what, is, what does Satan say? Oh, surely you won't die. Sh- surely not. Surely that's not what's going to happen. It's the same lies, the same temptation. And he presents us with a false promise that sin will feed our craving. Hebrews 11.24 actually tells us that sin can be pleasurable or fun, but it's fleeting and temporary. One version actually says it's it fun for a season. We can find enjoyment. We can find pleasure. We can even find, maybe some of us are in a dating relationship that we shouldn't be in. Then you're actually finding fleeting and temporary acceptance and love, and I'm just going to tell you, it's not real. And you know, deep down in your heart, the Holy Spirit is tugging on you and dragging you and tries, hey, this is not the right, this is not, this is not what I have for you. This is not my plan for you. But our hearts can become, but I, lo- I want that, accept- and we're buying the lie of the enemy. Oh, surely, surely it'll be all right. Surely every pastor who's ever preached on this topic is wrong. Can I tell you, this is why we teach you In our church, we say it often. This is why we teach you not to listen to our culture when our culture tells you to just follow your heart. I don't know. I got a big decision. What should I do? Oh, just just follow your heart. You'll get it right. Just, Just go where you're... Just follow your... Listen, if you're a mature believer and the Holy Spirit is in complete control of your heart, maybe... But here's what the Bible says about your heart. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Just follow your heart. What? It's deceitful and sick. Who can understand it? The NIV says the human heart. That's what we're talking about here is the human heart is deceitful above all things. And desperately sick, who can understand it? Sin begins with desire. Here's the second thing that happens. James 1.15, it grows into action. 
James 1.15, these desires give birth to sinful actions. Can I tell you something? You're not going to like it. This is, I know it's kind of hard preaching to come back from vacation. I'm so you're like, what? Why are they yelling at everybody? Because I'm tired of watching everybody get burned by mistakes and sin and be cooped up and bound and act like slaves when we're not slaves. We're supposed to be free. We're supposed to be free. We can talk later, man. Just let me preach. Temptation starts with desire. It grows into action. It gives birth to sinful action. And after we take the bait, and we seek to gratify our desires, we make a plan, and we act out sin. Here's, here's the statement i got to make to you this morning. Sin is never an accident. Sin is never an accident. Oh, you're you shouting me down now. Sin is never an accident. Listen, nobody accidentally has an affair. I used to deal with pornography, and I, I, I never had a moment where I suddenly looked at the computer screen and went, oh, how'd that get there? What? <laughs> Must be a virus. No, what happened? It started with a desire. It started with a lustful desire. That desire grew into a sinful action. Sitting down at the computer, punching an address or a web search. And that action led to what was on the screen. It's never an accident. Nobody ever accidentally steals something. Actually, I did once. I was a kid. I had a piece of gum that I wanted to buy, and I was with my friends at a drugstore, and then we decided to leave, and I forgot the gum was in my hand. We got down the block. They are like, you stole the gum. And I was like, I'm going to hell. That's really what I thought. Nobody ever accidentally lies to some. Sin is never an accident. When we sin, whether we want to admit it or not, we have a desire, and then we make a choice. To act on that desire with an action. It grows to sinful action. James 4.17 says, So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him or her, ladies, it is sin. When we know what we ought to do and we don't do it, it's sin. It's that sin. We've missed the mark. And then here's the last thing that happens in the process of sin is it ends in death. It begins with desire, it grows into action, and it ends in death. James 1.15, the last half of that verse says, And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So here's the thing. Some of us are sitting in the room today, and we may not have a relationship with Jesus, and we're experiencing what's called being spiritually dead. You have no relationship with Christ. You are dead on the inside. That's, the, that's what Jesus Christ does for us. He's, he doesn't make bad people good. He makes dead people alive. He can bring life. to The process of becoming good will start when you come to Christ. And let me tell you, even, even after years and years of serving Jesus Christ, your righteousness 
will still never come close to measuring up, but that's okay because God's grace covers it all. It covers it all. But some of us are spiritually dead. We have no relationship with Jesus Christ. Some of us have a relationship with Jesus Christ and we're still experiencing death in our lives because of the consequences of sin. You know how many people I've met who have a relationship with Jesus, who say they love God, who attend church even semi-regularly, but their marriages are dead. Their families are dead. Their dreams are dead. The vision and the purpose for their life is dead. As parents, they feel like their kids are dead. Why? Because the end result of sin is always death. A dead relationship, a dead marriage, a dead career. And I think it's sad that many people are living lives filled with death because they don't know Jesus. I'm even more concerned about believers who are living dead, defeated lives because they haven't stood against the enemy's schemes. Come on, somebody. Aren't you tired of watching believers live like they aren't believers? What if we just started to understand the victory that we already have in Christ Jesus and began to stand on His promises and stand with the armor of God in our lives and stand against the scheme of sin, what would happen? See, even though Jesus Christ is in us, if we get into the habit of sin, we can feel separated, we can feel isolated, we can even feel dominated. And even though we have freedom in Christ and the power and authority to break free, We can still be lied to and dominated by sin, overwhelmed with guilt and shame. And here's my prayer for you this morning, that all of that would break off of your life today. You're free. Church, you are free. But you don't know how hard... No, you're free. God already sees you as free. All we have to do is figure out how to get your behavior in alignment with what Jesus Christ has already done for you. You're free. You're free. How do we get there? How do we find the way out? I'm embarrassed to say this because my wife and I lived in Elkton for about four years. I'm not embarrassed that we lived in Elkton. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> that's, that's not at all what I'm saying. All the Cecil kind of people are like, uh-huh. Here comes another Bubba joke. No, I'm not, I'm not doing it. That's not, that's not where I was going. I'm embarrassed that we lived in this area and didn't take advantage of all the things that are in this area. We lived here for almost four years, the first time we were in the area as youth pastors. Then we went to Florida. Then we came back to plant True Life. And until a couple weeks ago, I had never set foot on a Delaware beach. I'm like, I'm kind of ashamed. We have great beaches. They're nice. They're fun. And they're within driving distance. I mean, I grew up in the Midwest, all right? You got excited if you got to drive to somebody's pond, Okay. All right, that was, that was what we were excited. There was no beaches. There were no waves. So we came up with this great plan. And we did it like four times on this vacation that we were, we called it a staycation because we didn't actually go anywhere. And, and we figured out this great plan because my son, he's 17 months old right now. And he takes two naps a day and he's, he's got a great little, it's a great pattern. It makes life a lot easier on us. And so we didn't want to do anything to disrupt the routine, but we wanted to do some fun stuff for our vacation. So we figured out that if we timed it just right, we could get up in the morning, we could pack a cooler, we could get all our stuff ready. And about the time he's ready for his morning nap, we could load him in the car and we could load all our stuff in the car 
and we could drive to the beach and he would fall asleep and take his morning nap on the drive to the beach. And now listen, this is because my wife is an excellent planner. She's very organized. I would never come up with any of this. I'd be like, hey, what? oh, I forgot the cooler. All right, I'll just drive back an hour and a half and get it. Or go buy one. My, my wife's an excellent planner. She thinks of every detail. And so we, f- we figured out, we got this great pattern. I can't wait to go back to the beach. He sleeps. About the time he's waking up, we're in the 15 to 20 minute zone from being at the beach. We found a Wawa. We can stop at. And my, my family's all pretty fairly complected. Like, um, I'm kind of like Casper. Seriously? If you see me in shorts, you know? Scary? Um, my, my kids are fairly complected. My wife, not so much. She can, she can tan a little bit. She doesn't have to be as cautious as us. But, you know, they say the sunscreen's supposed to be on your skin for, what, 30 minutes or so before you actually get out in the sun. Am I getting that right, babe? Am I close? If you need any, she's the expert on sunscreen. If you need any questions answered, talk to my wife. So we found the right place to stop, get the sunscreen on. Ushers, I'm going to need you to help me. Um, <clears throat> get the sunscreen on. And, and, um, and then by the time we would get out to the beach, it, it had been on long enough to, uh, to get out in the sun and be safe. And then we get our, our nice little setup. And so, so I thought I'd just show you this morning, you know. Got our nice little... Beach set up here. All right, got our... Hey, Kevin, come up here. Come up here and help me, man. So we go. We actually have two of these. So the sunscreen is settling in. We're getting comfortable. Can you just kind of like hold this right here? Can you be a cabana boy for right now? Where's my, where's my palm leaf? <laughs> I don't have a palm leaf for you. All right, so about the time we're, we're getting... So we get there just in time. We get the cooler out, we got our sheet out, we eat some lunch, and just as we're finishing lunch, the sunscreen's been on long enough, we can start enjoying the beach. We actually have two of these bad boys, nice big shaded area, we got tons. Of, we bought this cart that's made especially to roll over the sand. Have you seen these things? They're cheap. Oh my Lord, they make life so much easier, especially with kids. We load that thing, man. If there's a weight limit, we are hitting it. All right, hauling two kids out there. Couldn't figure out how to fit my son in it, but who carry him? So we got this, this really, it's actually really simple, but it's kind of detailed strategy to make sure that when we go to the beach, we can have a good time without damaging our skin, without experiencing sunburn. And so I'm sitting on the beach a couple weeks ago, enjoying it. And I just felt like God started to talk to me because he talks to you at the beach. And here's what he said. Listen, clear as day, this is what he said to me. I'm sitting here, I'm watching my kids. They're having a good time. just felt right. It felt good. And he said, Michael, so many of my people are experiencing the pain and the sting of guilt and shame. And it's the burn of exposing themselves to sin too much. And if people, if my people would just come up with a plan. The same way you've come up with a plan to get to the beach and keep yourself safe from the sun at the beach. They could avoid the burn of sin. See, I've been to, been to the beach four times in the last couple of weeks. Not a sunburnt flake of skin on my body. 
Come on, you've seen the ones that like they've been in the sun their whole, you know what I'm talking about? Ew. You know, now some, some, my, my father-in-law, man, he's, he's a landscaper, so he's got to be in the sun all day long. And he's just got like, he's a wonderful man, I love him, but he's just got like that hard, it's leathery, tough, you know what I'm saying? Because he's, he's a Florida boy, he's been out at the beach his whole life, surfing and all that kind of, but man, the sun has taken a toll on his, and you, guess what, you know what sin does to you? It takes a toll on your life. And you want to know that it, what I found in the scripture, it's actually as simple as what we did at the beach. Coming up with a plan to keep our family safe from the sun rays, you can, get a, you can come up with a plan to keep yourself safe from the sin that the enemy wants to tempt you into in your life, and you can avoid, you ready for this word? The sin burn. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Came up with that on my own. Thank you very much. How? Is there a way to make it stick in there so you don't have to stay up here the whole time? I don't want to make you do that. Let's try that. That'll work. That's fine. It's good. No, no, it's not. It's not good. All right, here, we'll just lay it down now. Is Is that good right there? How's that? Is that fine? All right. I have hit Kevin with a car. It's true. True story. If my people would plan to protect their soul from getting burned by sin the way we're protecting ourselves from the sun, they'd be living in a lot less pain, under a lot less guilt, with a new level of freedom. Come on, isn't that what you want for your life? So so that sounds nice, Michael. It sounds like you had a nice little moment there on the beach. Is that actually in the Bible? Yes, it is. Put it up there, Todd. 1 Corinthians 10, 12. If you think... You're standing strong. What's the next two words? Be. You know what we're doing when we go to the beach? We're being careful. We're making a plan. Because we want to stay. I want my kids to stay. I don't want my kids to have skin cancer when they get older. I don't want that. I don't want them to have the pain of a sunburn. If you think you're standing strong, be careful. Have a plan to make sure you don't fall. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. I know that, uh, that, that I know that's going to mess with somebody. What? What? You mean I'm not special? No. I mean you are, but not the way you think. You're special in that you're unique. And God has a specific plan and purpose for your life. But the temptations you face are the same temptations that man has been facing since the beginning of time. The enemy has no new tricks. They're no different from what others experience. Here's some good news though. And God is... And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand when you are tempted... He will show you a way out so you can, what? Endure. Endure. Isn't that good news? Isn't it good news 
Temptation's going to come, but there's always a way out. The God of the universe loves... Listen, my kids, when I'm trying to teach them, when I'm trying to correct them, I don't want to back them into a corner so that there's no way that they can please me. I want to... This is what a loving father does for his people. He always creates a way out. He always creates a way for you to make the right decision, to make the right choice. And then James goes on in in James chapter 4. He actually gives us three keys to breaking free from sin. And this is what I hope will help you this morning. Because I want you to find the way out. I want you to have your plan for making sure you don't get burned. Because it takes some work. James chapter 4 verse 4. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you you think the scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? In other words, once we come into relationship with Jesus Christ, God is jealous to be in relationship with you as much as he possibly can be. But he gives us more grace. That's why the scripture says God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Check it out. Here's where, here's where the first key. This is where it starts. Verse 7. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. I don't know about you, but I get a great mental picture there. Of the devil coming all up, acting bad, trying to get in my life. And me just being like, no. I resist I'm submitted to God. What you going to do? Like a little puppy dog with his tail between his legs. The Bible says that the, the devil will flee from you. Run away from you. He'll flee. Resist the devil and he'll flee. Come near to God and he'll come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. Verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord. And he will lift you up. Here's the first key. If you want to have freedom against sin in your life, submit and resist. Submit and resist. You want to know the pattern that you've got to develop in your life? The habit that you've got to develop in your life? Submit to God and resist the devil. 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 It is really this simple. Submit to God. Resist the devil. And it takes both. And it takes both. I think in our culture, we like the idea of resisting rebels. Ah! But nobody ever amens when you talk about submission. Submit your will to God's will. Yeah! Nobody's ever fired up about that. But listen, this is what has to happen. I have to submit all that I am towards God, I have to understand that when I'm in friendship with the world, what I'm actually doing is showing hatred towards the things of God. You know, I think so if we can compare sunburn to sin burn, what some of us do is we get out in the world and we just go, here's how we kind of think and we think, and I love Jesus and I want to serve God, and, but I don't want to be a total Bible geek and a church nerd, so I just need a little tan. I just... There's, we almost celebrate it, man, in the church nowadays. 
Like, like I'm pretty good, I'm in ch- I, but I'm a little bad too. And we, like, like it's a badge of honor. Yeah, but I still do this, this. I'm just not going to let go of those things. It's too, you know. That's what makes me me. The problem is you're not you anymore. On the day you receive Christ, the Bible says the old has passed away, the new has come. You're a new creature, a new creation. So we can't, we can't live in both places forever. But that's what we do. We get out in culture and we go, man, I just, I just want to get a little... I know I could pursue holiness, but I want a little tan. Get around people who don't serve God. I don't want them to confuse me with the church people. The ones who think they're better. Can, can I just tell you, man, nobody here thinks we're better than anybody. You know, I think, I think we're like the most messed up group of people in the world. You know, that's what I think a real believer is, is someone who realizes they are totally lost and messed up without Jesus Christ. And they figured out that by connecting in a local church, they can be in a community with other people who are just as messed up as they are, and they can find a little bit of hope there. But they just... No, we're not, not judging anyone. We're tired of seeing people destroy their lives. Like, the, the Bible works. It's truth. And when we apply it, it actually changes our lives. There's two definitions for the word submit. Oh, I forgot to say this. Some of us, we, we like to have a little bit, some of us even have a, we got the spray bottle. You got your spray on tan. So when you're with your church friends, you can spray your church color. And then when you're with your other people, you can spray your other, I mean, you're like a freaking zebra, man. You got stripes all over and nobody knows what you are. Come on, how about you just serve God with all your heart? How about you make it clear who you are and what you stand? Am I preaching too hard? Does that mean? I'm not trying to be mean-spirited. I'm just tired, man. I'm tired of watching people act like slaves when we're not slaves. There's two definitions for submit. Here's the first one. Accept or yield to a superior force or to the authority or will of another person. Here's the second definition. Present a proposal, application, or other document to a person or body. What did I just do? There it is. To a person or body for consideration or judgment. So I took the scriptures, submit and resist. I took the definitions. Here's a prayer that, you know what, I want to become, a, I want to get in the regular habit of praying this prayer over my life. And you can, I'm going to read it fast. You can try to write it down if you want it. Email me, I'll send it to you. But here's, here's the attitude that I want my heart to be God, I come to you. And I recognize my inability to guide my own life properly. Left to my own way, I'll mess it up and the result will be destruction. So, I humble myself. And I submit my life and my will to you. I willingly place myself under your lordship and commit to presenting every decision I face to you and your word before moving forward. What if we live like that? I'm submitted to the God of the universe and I've made up my mind that with everything in me I'm going to resist every temptation that the enemy lobs my direction. Submit and resist. Here's the second one. It comes from Mark chapter 9, verse 43. If your hand causes you to sin, come on, you all know it. Cut it off. This sounds fun. After the service, we have some, um, some saws available. 
lopping shears, different things, so it could get messy. I'm teasing. So we're like, are you for real? No. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Verse 45, if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. Verse 47, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. It's better to enter the kingdom of God with only one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell. Here's what I think Jesus is actually saying here. He's saying, hey, you've got to submit and resist. And number two, you need to know your limits. You need to know your limits. Can I tell you, I'm, I'm arriving at a season of my life where I'm starting to understand some of the limits. Like there's, there's certain times of night that I just don't want to be in the living room with the TV on, even flipping through channels, because I might see some. Listen, I, I, I'm just being transparent with you. Like, like I'm the classic stereotypical guy who all through my teenage years really struggled with lust. And, and guess what? The enemy has never stopped trying to tempt me. He will never stop trying to tempt me. Guess who knows my limits maybe even better than I do? My wife. Like she is, you should see it, man. She's got like lightning quick reflexes. We're watching TV and a Victoria's Secret commercial comes on or something. She's like, Wah! can you see? Can you see anything? Can you, does she ask, can you see anything? Can you see anything? I'm like, no, see your hands. You have, you have beautiful hands, babe. <laughs> Sexy fingers. I love those things. Okay, commercial's over. You can look. Why? Because I know my limits. I just there, there isn't a computer in our house that doesn't have software on it that lets, lets somebody know what websites get visited. I know I'm setting boundaries and limits for my kids. My daughter's big enough now that she's playing some computer games. I can sit in any room of the house from a tablet, a phone, or a computer and see real time every click, every keystroke, every website that she's visiting. Why? Because I'm not going to let the enemy set the boundaries for our household. We're going to set the boundaries and the limits for our household and make sure that somebody doesn't get introduced to sin and lose their innocence before it's time. Man, you all should have shouted me down right there. You've got to know your limits. Once I'm submitted, I can ask God to show me what the healthy boundaries are for my life. If you're struggling with lust, don't put yourself in situations where you're going to stumble. I wouldn't say to a brand new believer recovering from an alcohol addiction, hey, let's go, to, let's go start a bar and club outreach. You and me, man. Recovering alcoholic? Sweet. Let's go to a bar and hand out tracks. Not smart. But that's what we do, right? We'll come run, right out of a habitual sin, right out of a habit that God's trying to break us free from, and we'll repeat the cycle over and over again. Why? Because we've never learned how to cut off the things in our life that lead us down a path of temptation. And if you're struggling, learn what the boundaries are. You've got to know when it's time to come in out of the sun for a little while. When we're, that, when we're out there at the beach, I, I, I know. We, got a, we set a timer on the phone, and it beeps and tells us, hey, it's time to come in. Get under the shade a little bit. Oh, boy. Oh, Jesus. Reapply the sunscreen. You know what this, the shade represents? This represents God's house. This represents God's word. This represents God's people. Listen, you need to have some seasons in your life where you come in out of the culture of sin, where you come in out of the world and you surround yourself with some community and you surround yourself with some people and you fill up on God's word and you fill up on God's spirit and you get yourself safe and ready to step back out into the world and get ready to face culture again. 
We gotta have, we gotta know. We gotta know what our limits are. Now, some of us have different limits. I spend more time under that umbrella than my wife does. Cause I'm Casper. When we go to the beach, it's, it's still a learning experience for me. Cause I grew up in the Midwest. My wife goes to the beach and she's like a mermaid that comes out of, cause she's from Florida. I belong at the beach. And she, oh, she's beautiful there. And she, she, she knows how to handle, like I go down to the water. And homeboy not going past right here in the ocean. If there's anything in there that can sting me, eat me, stab me. That's as far as we go. I know my limits. But if you grew up in Florida. You have a different set of limits. So my wife, she's out there swimming in the waves. And I remember our honeymoon, we went to Aruba. And I'm like standing there waiting. She was out. It felt like five football fields snorkeling and enjoying the... And I'm just standing there like, I'm going to lose my new wife. Come back. Come back. Please. I'm not a, I'm not a strong swimmer. I can swim. I can swim, but I'm not strong. I know my limits. And that's when I'm at the beach, I could probably go a little further. There's probably a little bit of fear that needs to get broken off my life there. But guess what? I've I've learned to embrace the boundaries in my life. And and what I can never do, because my wife, she has a different story. She has a different... Upbringing. She has a different past and a different background. Guess what? Her boundaries at the beach are different than mine. And this is why as believers, we can never compare our boundaries to another believer's boundaries. Because you don't know the story. I, I know some pastors who will, they'll do counseling meetings. And it's not as big a deal in their church culture to meet one-on-one with the opposite sex. I, like, for me... What I, my history must, that's just a boundary I won't cross. I know my limits. I know, and you've got to know your limits. And if there's a boundary that when you cross it, temptation is going to come and sin is going to come, what Jesus is saying is, hey, cut that thing out. Some of you need to go home and you need to pack up the computer and you need to take it and put it in storage for three or six months and fast it because you, because you don't know how to sit down and access the internet without looking at something that you shouldn't be looking at. Some of you who are single, you need to make a vow before God today that you're going to go six months or 12 months without even worrying about dating and just focus on dating Jesus and get right and secure in your standing and your relationship with Him and understand that you don't need anyone else to complete you or make you secure or make you who you are, that you are whole in Christ Jesus and until you get that right, nobody else gets to come into your life. Know your limits. And here's the last one. First John 3, 5, and 6. Kevin, come on up. Let's get this out of the way. Uh-oh, I broke. No, there it is. Thanks, dude. You can come get that chair too. First John chapter 3, verse 5. So we gotta submit, resist. We've got to know our limits. And then here's what it says in 1 John chapter 3. You know that He appeared in order to take away sins. Who's He? Jesus. 
Jesus appeared in order to take away sins. And in him, come on, this is good. In him there is no sin. No one who abides. And I want you to, if you have the old school Bible, the paper Bible, you need to underline, circle, highlight, whatever the word abides. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. And that's the last point that we need to learn how to abide in Jesus. This is one of the words that I wish Bible translators would just leave alone. Because (laughs) abide is the right word. It's the right word. It literally means to endure and stand and walk in step with Jesus Christ. After I submit and I resist, once I know my boundaries, you know where that leaves me? That leaves me in a place where I can look to Jesus Christ and say, I just want to abide. God, I want to walk in lockstep with you. If you take me to the left, I'll go to the left. If you take me to the right, I'll go. To, if you tell me to stand still, if you tell me to speak, I'll speak. If you tell me to be silent, I'll be silent. If you tell me to wait, I'll wait. I want to abide. To keep my heart and my mind set on you. When desire rises in me and temptation comes my way, I can say, no, I'm abiding in Jesus Christ. And I'm going to turn my eyes and my heart away from this world and set them on Him. Set them on Him. Just close your eyes all across the room this morning very quickly. If you'd say, Michael, I have never surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. I've never asked forgiveness for the mistakes and the sin in my life. And this morning while you've talked, I I don't understand it all yet. I don't get it all yet. But I understand that I need a Savior. And I need to surrender my life to Jesus. If that's you, you can, that, you can say a, a simple prayer and step into relationship with Jesus Christ this morning. If that's you, quickly, just raise your hand. Say, hey, that's me. Nobody's looking around. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you to the front. Michael, I need to accept Jesus Christ into my life. I see it. Anyone else? Quickly. Anyone else? Awesome. Keep your eyes closed, but listen very carefully to me. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. You can make the words your own. It doesn't have to be exactly the way I pray it. And when we say amen, when we're done, we're going to sing a song together. After that, I want you to grab the connection card in the cup holder next to you. Give us your name, as much contact info as you're comfortable with. At least please give us your email address, and here's why. You're going to check a box that says, I'm committed my life to Jesus Christ today. And we're just going to send you an email with some next steps for you to take so that you can get off to a healthy start in your walk. We're not going to show up at your house. We're not going to hassle you. We're, we're not going to pester you. We just want you to get started off on the right foot with Jesus, okay? So let's say, our, our whole church is just going to say this prayer together. It's our way of inviting you and welcoming you to the family of God. Just say, dear Jesus, I need a Savior, so I submit to you. I give you my life. And I ask for forgiveness of every sin, every mistake, past, present, future in my life. I believe you died for me and you rose from the grave. And you came to set me free.
from this day on, Jesus Christ, you will be the Lord of my life. In your name I pray. Amen. Hey, come on, church. Heaven just got bigger this morning. Come on, man. That's why we do what we do. Now, everybody look at me. More than ever before in my life, I want to abide. I want to walk with Jesus. I want to submit everything that I am to Him. I want to be able to resist the temptation. I want to know my boundaries, but more than anything else, I want to walk in lockstep with Jesus. I want to stand and endure and walk in Him. I want to abide. And at this point in the message, as I was preparing my notes, it was really kind of cool. I was sitting there preparing my notes, and I always listen to worship music. Sometimes I put headphones in, and so I'm sitting at my dining room table typing notes, and as I get to this place about abiding, this song comes on my worship. It's an old song. used to sing it all the time growing up. And here's what I want to do. If, if your heart is resonating with that this morning, I want to abide. I want to walk in lockstep with Jesus Christ. I want to endure and stand with Him. Here's what I'm going to invite you to do. Not an altar call, not a a prayer over you. Just as a a way of joining together and saying, hey, yeah, I'm I'm on board. I want us to just sing this old song together. Because this is really what abiding is about. So if that's you, would you just, you say, that's me, I want to abide. Would you stand to your feet? Just stand up all across the room. I, I want to abide. I want to walk in lockstep with Jesus. And we just sing, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. That's what it's about, church. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Come on, sing it again now. You know it. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Come on, maybe just... Lift your hands and surrender. Look full in His wonderful face. In the things of earth will grow strangely dim. In the light of His glory Come on, one more time. Turn your eyes from everything else in life. Turn them to Him this morning. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things... And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light 
of his glory and grace. Father, would you help us to do that this morning? Not just as a song, but as a lifestyle. God, that the eyes of our heart would be turned not towards the issues we're facing, not towards the the problems we're wrestling with, not towards the desires and the temptations that are surrounding us every day in our culture, but God, we would abide. We want to walk with you. So we turn our eyes on you and we know that as we do, everything else will fade. It will grow dim. Because what you have for us is a life full of your glory and full of your grace. And we're in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, if you receive that, would you give God a hand this morning? Come on, for Him. Let's give Him a hand this morning.